You could spend the weekend doing the same old whatever, or you could conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. What's going on, everybody? Welcome to the Upper Hand Fantasy Podcast. This is Faraz Siddiqui coming at you with an actual dedicated podcast episode it's been a minute. Uh, I'm here with Zach Rizzuto. If you follow me over on Instagram, you know exactly who Zach is. He's been killing it on the graphics. He has been killing it with the content too. So uh, Zach Rizzuto, welcome. Uh, I'm hoping that we could do a bunch of these together, man. Yeah, me too. I mean, freaking, I'm excited to get, actually be on the episode, you know, start getting this thing dedicated so that we can actually, you know, have a little continuity here and really just bring more consistent content to the podcast and really just make it just like something special here. So I think that first episode, let's get it. hundred percent, man. hundred percent. All right, let's, we're going to get right into it. Uh, we're going to have a segment, um, and we're going to call it rapid recap. All right, Zach, let's get into it. All right. So we'll be starting the episode with the rapid recap and it's covering some of the fantasy relevant news around the league and what this means for you and your fantasy team heading into 2022. So, for us, according to a report from Nate Taylor of The Athletic, Marquez Valdez-Scantling has been the best wide receiver in the Chiefs' offseason program, above the likes of Sky Moore and Juju Smith-Schuster. Is MVS your pick to be the number one guy in the Chiefs' passing game in 2022? And if he isn't, who's most likely to assume that role? I don't think so. I don't think so. I, I, I'd rather have Juju. You know, I'd rather have Sky Moore. You know, Moore missed a bunch of the offseason program, you know, because of a hamstring strain, and, and that sucks, but it is what it is. Like, MVS, you know, he's not a complete player, right? And and I think even though the reports are that they are opening up his route tree, I'm not sure that's such a great idea <laughs> because, you know, I, yeah, I think he stretches out this offense, you know, gives them that vertical threat that every offense needs. I think that's why he got paid. Um, and he's going to have some big games, no doubt, every now and then, you know, with Patrick Mahomes. We've seen, you know, guys like, you know, obviously Tyreek Hill was doing his thing, right? But we've seen other speedsters on this offense do their thing as well. But, you know, it was pretty inconsistent. And then you look at what he did in Green Bay, pretty inconsistent, right? Um, but in terms of target share, it's Travis Kelsey first, obviously. I think most likely Juju is going to be second. Uh, I think Sky Moore will end up being third. Uh, and then potentially MVS. Now, I can see MVS challenging more in the beginning of the year. Uh, more might take a little bit, you know, to come into his own. But I can totally see these guys, um, you know, being more valuable than MVS uh, outside of you know big DFS tournaments and all that. You know, sure, MVS is going to have those big games, uh, but from a consistency standpoint, from a target share standpoint, I rather take my chances with those two guys. Right. So. If that's the case, then Marcus Valdez-Scantling, at his current price, you don't think he's worth taking that high. I mean, I don't think that he. I don't think that he's going to have trouble bringing in targets. Travis Kelsey's there, obviously, so he's going to get the majority of them, like you said. And I think Sky Moore is going to take a little bit of time to get you know warmed up, acclimated to the NFL landscape. But um, Marcus Valdez-Scantling, I think at the beginning will be the Sky Moore that 
he's going to be in the second year. So Marcus Valdez-Gentling in the beginning of the year will be the deep threat. Sky Moore will transition. He will be the deep threat later in the year. And I don't know. Marcus, he signed a, what was it, a three-year deal? That was a little odd, I thought, just given yeah, that was, uh, he doesn't have much of a uh, rapport not, not like with Patrick Mahomes. He wasn't the biggest guy in Green Bay, like you said. He isn't like this super consistent, productive receiver. He was good, and he has speed, and obviously the Chiefs like that. And to mitigate the release of Tyreek Hill, the trade of Tyreek Hill, that will definitely come in handy. But I think that they ultimately drafted Sky Moore, and I'm with you that Marquez Valdez-Scanling, despite this report, isn't necessarily the number one guy in the Chiefs' offense. Yeah, and I think part of the reason why they paid him is because he is a legit deep threat. And and regardless of whether he's getting the targets or not, it's going to affect that offense in a big way. You every offense in the NFL wants a deep threat, you know, whether they're being targeted on that play or not, because it affects the entire offense, right? It, it affects those safeties, you know, how they play them and all that. So, and especially when you have Patrick Mahomes who's super capable of finding that guy if he's open deep, um, you know, he is a valuable part of that offense. But for fantasy, I'm not, you know, super excited about it. Right, no, I'm with you 100% on that one. That makes sense. And then we'll move on to another report here. So Adam Schefter recently reported that the Buccaneers are hopeful, quote-unquote, that Chris Godwin will be able to suit up for their Week 1 Encore matchup against the Cowboys to open 2022. So what would a Chris Godwin return mean for the rest of the Buccaneers' offense, specifically guys like Mike Evans and one of your favorite targets I know in drafts this season, Russell Gage? Yeah, and, and I understand that the Bucks are hopeful that Chris Godwin will be ready for week one, uh, but I'm not even sure that they need to rush him back, right? Like, why? Um, they can depend on the run game. Uh, they can depend on that defense a little bit, uh, depend on Mike Evans. I think Russell Gage can hold it down, uh, you know, at that wide receiver two spot for a little bit. Most of the reports are saying that it's possible that Godwin starts the year on the pup. So, you know, if I was the Bucks, I'd be hopeful too. Uh, but I don't see them rushing him back. Uh, but let's say Godwin doesn't start the year on the pup, and he's slated to return, you know, in the first couple of weeks of the season. Uh, I think Evans is still that dude. Godwin still likely won't be 100%, and Evans, you know, will have the benefit of Godwin taking some of that coverage of away, away even if he's not 100%. I think more, more targets will go Evans' way regardless. Um, obviously, if Godwin's not on the field, that benefits Evans even more, but if he is on the field, it's not the end of the world, and I'm okay taking Godwin, you know, I'm sorry, taking Edvin, uh, Evans as like a, you know, top 12 receiver. You know, if I have him right now as a top 10 receiver. I'm assuming Godwin's going to miss a significant amount of time. We've even heard of him potentially coming back in November, right? So uh, there's a huge range of possibilities for Godwin. Um, now, in terms of Gage doing his thing, with Godwin on the field, I think that does hurt him a bit because he won't have that same type of target share uh, upside if Godwin is on the field. Uh, Gage, I think he could become like a wide receiver three hopeful rather than a shoe in uh, you know, as a top 36 wide receiver uh, with top 24 w uh, wide receiver upside if Godwin is not on the field, right? So um, this does, you know, change things significantly. We just heard Gronk, you know, talking about him saying that, you know, even if Brady needs me, like I'm, I'm, I'm definitely retired. I still don't believe him, but, <laughs> but we'll see how that all shakes out. Right, absolutely. And um, with Russell Gage, like I said, you've kind of convinced me through our time working together, that he's actually worth the pick. And I've actually, you know, warmed up to his ADP a little bit. Even though I thought it was a little high to begin with, I do like Russell Gage. But Chris Godwin coming back, I do think it would affect him, but I don't know if it's going to affect him that much. I think that your um, love for him still stands because 
Chris Godwin likely won't like, he won't be a hundred percent. I don't think even if he comes back week one. If they rush him back week one, I think that would actually probably be worse for Chris Godwin for fantasy football and you know just him as a player overall than anybody else. I think Mike Evans is still the number one. Brady obviously loves throwing to him, and even with um, Chris Godwin coming back, those vacated targets from Rob Gronkowski in the end zone is not going to be there. Red zone, Mike Evans is going to be that guy, and Chris Godwin, like I said, if he's injured, Russell Gage, I think he could still be. Depending on how well we see, uh, what's his name, Chris Godwin play, depending how well he plays, Russell Gage could still be, I think, a shoe in like you said, for wide receiver three because he's going to have his games. And if you're talking from a just fantasy points, end of the year, total points scored, I think he is a wide receiver three. I agree with you on that one. So, um, yeah, so do you think that this report is kind of like smoke? Do you think that people shouldn't be tripped up by this a little bit? Or like you said – do you think it's something that we should be heeding a little bit more than, you know, that might indicate? No, I think Adam Schefter's right. They are hopeful. <laughs> I, I, you know, everyone's hopeful. Like I'm hoping too, but like I, it just might not happen, right? Um, I, I'm going. I'm going with the reports that you know from the team, like about like the fact that like what is the reality of the situation, right? They don't need to rush him back. Um, he could come back later in the year. Uh, but at the same time, they can be hopeful, right? Like so, all of those things can be true. Uh, so I think, yeah, it's true. They are hopeful. But I don't necessarily think that um, determines when he's actually going to come back, you know. Uh, and in terms of Russell Gage, like, uh, you know, my thing with him is that, like, he's actually morphed into, like, an actual good wide receiver. He's able to separate. Uh, he was able to separate on the outside last year, too. Um, but now I'm looking at his price. His price is uh, in the top 36 at this point. Uh, he's going off as the wide receiver 35 on underdog. So, um, you know, it's at the point where, like, you know, do we, like, to we bite on that price, right? Early on in the year, he was going off, you know, he wasn't even in the top 48. He, was, he wasn't even in the top 50. So, you know, with this price moving up now, now it's kind of getting to the point where, like, mm, there are some other wide receivers on the board at that point that, you know, might have a little bit more upside. So, you know, like we always say, it's all about the price. Players are great, but uh, I want them at the right price. Right, absolutely. And then another report. Turon Davenport of ESPN reports that Titans tight end Austin Hooper has made a strong impression on Ryan Tannehill so far this offseason and noting that they're building rapport. Is Austin Hooper a candidate to smash his ADP this season as a 25th tight end coming off the board? I I think so. When you say it like that, (laughs) I think so, right? Because... You know, Hooper isn't the best athlete in the world, but he is good enough to lead his team in targets. He, he's he's one of the best le- very late-round targets at the position. Um, it's not out of the realm of possibility that he becomes a weekly, you know, tight end one start. The, the thing is, you know, he was stuck in a two-tight end system in Cleveland, right? We saw what he did when he had a full wrap participation in Atlanta. Uh, it was a pass-heavy offense in an offense with Dirk Cutter, who favored tight ends. Um, but, like, in this this off I mean this offseason it seems like he's going to be the only tight end that's you know super relevant on that offense he could have full route participation in Tennessee Robert Woods you know coming off the ACL Traylon Burks maybe needing some more time I think Hooper is walking into some you know potential opportunity major opportunity you know off the jump right absolutely and I love Robert Woods right now you'll see him in an article that I have coming out I think it's tomorrow but um, I think Robert Woods is a great value, but we have to see how he is coming off the ACL. He is 30, and he's going to be working alongside Traylon Burks, and obviously the jury's out on him too. We don't know how. The reports have been you know, mixed coming out of Titans camp, so we're not sure how exactly that's going to play out. But with all that volatility, if Austin Hooper can be the one reliable target, I mean, Ryan Tannehill, he has to throw to somebody. 
And I'm not saying that Robert Woods won't get his and Traylon Burks won't get his, but if you're looking for the, the receiver that's going to be on the field, that's going to be making plays consistently, I feel like Austin Hooper could be that guy, at least to begin the season before things actually gel probably because there's been a lot of turnover in the receiving room for the Titans. Obviously, they don't have A.J. Brown anymore, and they drafted Traylon Burks. So I think that Hooper can step in and be the veteran presence. I mean, obviously, Robert Woods is there, but he's a big target, and he's obviously going to be somebody that Tannehill's going to look for in the red zone. I feel like he could definitely capitalize on that, especially early in the season, like I said, and return plenty of value. I mean, he's pretty much going for nothing right now in drafts. So I think there's definitely a shot at that. Um, I don't know. He could. I think he is a yeah. candidate to smash his ADP 25, tight end 25, because that's like that's outside top 24. Yeah. You can't even can't get that kind of value anywhere else, I don't think, in a draft. I mean, unless you're really going deep. <laughs> yeah, no, 100%. Like guys like him, guys like Evan Ingram, uh, guys like uh, who else? Uh, Hayden Hurst and the Bengals. Like these are the type of guys that you're looking at super late uh, who can potentially get full route participation. Uh, that's kind of what you're looking for when you want to, you know, dig deep on these tight ends. Uh, but, you know, at the end of the day, if you are shooting on these late tight ends, like, you know, the worst case scenario is like you just drop them and pick up another streamer because you already have the mindset of not getting somebody who's going to be top five, a top five tight end. Right. Um, you already have the mindset of, you know, just getting by. <laughs> right. Unless these guys are like the second tight end you have and you try trying to look for that 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 upside. Uh, you know, as your second tight end, so potentially trade bait, or if your first tight end doesn't work, or you know, work out, that sort of thing. Um, but yeah, I don't think he has like ridiculous top five upside, but he do he does have top twelve upside pretty easily as a as a weekly tight end one. Now, you went so Zach went through my rankings, and this is what this episode is about. Basically, we're gonna go over um, you know, players that we are torn on that me and Zach don't agree on. Right, Zach went over my rankings and he identified a bunch of players who he was just like, dude, like, why do you have this guy so high or why do you have this guy so low? Um, so, so that's what we want to talk about in this episode. Um, so let's get right into it, Zach. Like, who who was that first guy that you saw that you were just like, mm, I'm not sure if I agree with that. Uh, that has to be Ezekiel Elliott. You have him ranked, I think it was the RB26 last I checked, and I think that's just way, way, way low. I mean, we've seen him finish as a top 12 running back every year he's been in the league, including the year 2017 when he was suspended. And Jerry Jones, as we know, he's a stubborn guy. He paid Zeke a lot of money, and he's going to keep him on the field. We saw that last year. Even though Tony Pollard was balling out, he was doing his thing. Super efficient as a ball carrier, super efficient in the passing game too. But Zeke was still on the field for all of the money carries. In red zone, goal line, he still had 10 touchdowns on the ground, two catching, two uh, receiving touchdowns as well. And plenty of touches, as we know. Obviously, his workload has been pretty hilarious since he got in the NFL. They've worked him like a true workhorse back. And I don't see why that would change. He was playing through uh, PCL tear. I think it was PCL tear. All the way through since week four. And that obviously limited his production. But he should be healthy this year. And as we've seen in the past, historically, with Dak Prescott at quarterback and Zeke healthy, he's a easy RB1 every week. I mean... He hasn't really disappointed. He's obviously not going to give you the upside of guys like Jonathan Taylor or Christian McCaffrey when he's healthy, but he's a very safe floor pick, and he's going as late as he's ever gone in drafts, I think, in his career. I mean, he's fourth-round ADP. So I I'm totally buying into that. I love that you ranked him this low because that's just going to turn more people off to him, and I'll be able to take him in more drafts. 
But that's what I I think that you have him way too low. I mean, I'd love to hear why you think that he should be that low. I mean, we've talked about this a little bit, but let's let's hear what you got. I I think he could be. I'm looking at my rankings right now. I have him at RB26. I have him right below Antonio Gibson. I'm not sure why. I'm gonna put him above Antonio Gibson, so he's RB25 now officially, uh, and I'm gonna put him above Elijah Mitchell, so he's RB24 officially, and he's officially a low end RB2. Okay, uh, <laughs> so so we'll start there. Like I'm already I'm already uh, bite, uh, you know eating my words a little bit as you as you talk about him, but um, he he is the RB15 off the board. Uh, so he's going off the board as a mid RB2. So you know when it's all said and done this year, I can totally see Zeke finishing as a mid RB2 in cumulative points. Um, he finished as the RB7 this past season in cumulative points, and the RB7. If you had Zeke last year. Did you feel like you had the RB7 on your hands? No, right? Uh, he was the RB15, though, in fantasy points per game, which is very solid, right? Uh, but did it feel solid last year? No. That's like It was like almost like replacement-level RB2 type of numbers. Um, you know, and, and my whole thing with Zeke this year you know, is the opportunity cost at his price. You know, the argument can be made you know, that taking him at the 3-4 turn um, you know, or the early fourth, if he drops that far, <clears throat> excuse me, is not that risky, right? Um, and, and he he can return on that price, no doubt. Um, but look at the upside of the running backs going around him, right? And and we're just talking running backs and not the high upside wide receivers going around him, uh, especially if you play in PPR leagues with three or more wide receivers. Um, you know, unlike these guys, he's just not set up to win your league. And that's the kind of guys that I'm going for, especially around that dead zone. Um, he's not set up for that ridiculous upside. The guys going around him right now, Alvin Kamara, even with the six-game suspension, I'll take Alvin Kamara. Travis Etienne, and, and also, by the way, with Alvin Kamara, like, you never know. I, I'll get into Alvin Kamara in a second. But, you know, Alvin Kamara is going, going around him. Travis Etienne is going around him. Cam Akers and Breeze Hall. Uh, so that's who he's sandwiched in between right now. Uh, so every single one of those guys, to me, has more league-winning upside than Zeke. So Kamara, obviously, might have to deal with that that suspension. You know, I'm taking him at cost today with the possibility that his suspension gets pushed to 2023. That's still a possibility. It might not be likely, but it's still possible. We'll find out on August 1st if he misses those six games this year. Cam Akers, potential three-down back on an elite offense, young as hell, obviously coming off the Achilles injury, but year uh, more than a year removed that from that when the season begins. Uh, Brees Hall, you know, potential three-down back, young as hell. You know, obviously not as not as good, not on as good of an offense as the Cowboys, right? But I don't think, you know, the share between Hall and Carter, I, I don't see that being as close as I think it will be between Zeke and Pollard. And, and also, you know, Hall is just young, and I love targeting potential elite running backs early in their careers, especially when I don't have to pay a first or second round price tag for them. And then Travis Etienne, you know, he has the upside for an 80-catch season. Uh, James Robinson coming off that torn Achilles that just happened in December. A lot of ambiguity in terms of, like, who is leading this ja- the Jaguars team in, in targets. Uh, and you, you, and then given Etienne's pedigree in the receiving game and his rapport with Trevor Lawrence from their Clemson days, it's possible that he's that guy, right? Um, and he's just extremely young also without much tread on his tires. So notice that I like taking these young running backs with a ton of upside, Uh uh, like I mentioned, um, and you know, 
I feel like I've talked about Tony Pollard ad nauseum. So, you know, I'm not going to like go, go, in, go super in depth in terms of like what his efficiency looks like. But the fact that he's just so damn efficient in both the run and the receiving game, uh, you know, with Zeke, Zeke, you know, falling off in efficiency over the past couple of seasons, I just seen uptick in his work as well. Um, there was actually a study done by Todd Seth of Pro Football Focus where he shows that uh, after 1,500 career carries, things tend to fall off pretty quickly. Um, and I think Zeke is already past Zeke is, is already past that point in terms of carries, uh, but he, it's, he's also showing some sign of decline. And I understand, you know, the injuries might have played a, a, a role in that, but I don't think that that is the reason why uh, his efficiency numbers are low. Number one and number two, these injuries can be part of that downfall. You know what I'm saying? Like, so um, I know we want to say that the injury was because of, you know, you know, his lack of efficiency wasn't was because of the injury. But it's also it could be because the injury could be because of the fact that he has been, you know, he's kind of at the end uh, of his of his career in terms of, you know, being able to stay on the field. Right. Uh, just not someone who I want to invest in. You know, he's going to have his games, you know, most likely for multi touchdown games. That's definitely going to happen this year. No doubt. I, I in no world do I see Tony Pollard be their goal line back at all. So he's going to potentially have 10 to 12 touchdowns this year. Uh, but I'm I'm personally staying away. Yeah, absolutely. I understand what you're saying. And it goes back to you and your motto of play to win. Don't play to not lose. And we've heard that many times before. So. I don't think Zeke is without a role in fantasy, though. Like, just because, I mean, obviously there are high upside guys around him. Like you said, Travis Etienne, Brees Hall. I do like Brees Hall this year. Um, but I think that Zeke, he can be a great way to offset any risk. Say you take, like, a Christian McCaffrey early in your draft in your first round. I think he's a great way to offset that risk because if Christian McCaffrey gets hurt, you're going to need some proven producer. I think Zeke can have that consistency. Even though it's not, you know, top five potential week in, week out, he can give you top 12 performances week in, week out, or top 15 performances week in, week in, week out, because just because he gets the volume that he needs. And like you said, it might be the injuries that are keeping him off the field, but it the thing is, he it didn't keep him off the field. And that's what you kind of have to love about Zeke, because even though as a Cowboys fan, Cowboys fans hate that he would um, you know, stay on the field in favor of Tony Pollard, because we just want to see Pollard ball, but... um. He stays on the field. As a fantasy manager, you have to love that because even if he does get that injury, like PCL tear isn't like a minor injury. It's not major, but it's not minor either. The fact that he played through it and still offered that production, and it, like we said, it wasn't league-winning production. It wasn't week-winning production, but it was consistent enough production that you could be like, okay, I don't feel as bad about taking him where another running back might be like, you know what, let's just give it a few weeks and you know, you'll miss that production. So I think that he's not without use. I just think that He's a really great option, like I said, to offset risk. Yeah, no, I hear you. Um, are, are are you a Cowboys fan, Zach? Yes. No, no, I I am a Cowboys fan. I've been a Cowboys fan. I don't really allow that to play into um, what I think about players. But the thing about it is I just know how Zeke's been used. Just and answer. Think, and just answer the question. Just <laughs> answer the question. Yeah, no. no I, are I you just, a Cowboys I, fan? Yes, I am. But Zeke, <laughs> Zeke, I know how he's used. No further, no further, no further questions, Your Honor. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, we know how Zeke is used. Jerry Jones likes the money on the field, and that's how it's going to be. I mean, that's the way it's been his whole career. Even last year, he was injured. They still kept him on the field, and I just think that you can't yeah. bet against him. He's going to play enough games to return investment, regardless of where he's being taken, especially in the fourth round where he's going right now. 
that is my concern. Uh, Jerry, uh, Jerry Jones just being like, hey, listen, that's my money guy. That's my money man. That's my cash cow. I'm keeping him on the field. <laughs> yeah. I, I could totally see that happening again, even though it's kind of like a big, a big it's going to turn into a Big Ben situation. But right. anyway, I digress. Speaking of Big Ben, who's the next guy that you kind of scratch your head when you see him in my ranks? Yeah, so this one I really take a lot of flack for. And, you know, it kind of pains me every time as I'm putting the graphics together to see this guy going this high in your rankings. But, you know, I, I do it. You know, I take the, uh, I, I just take it and I work with it. But it's Deontay Johnson, wide receiver from the Steelers. I cannot believe, I mean, just you and a bunch of other fantasy analysts that I've seen have him so high. You have him at wide receiver 17, last I checked. I think that is way too high given the whole situation that the Steelers are going in right now. Like we said, the changes, it's no longer Heinz Field. This is just a signal of the times changing that Big Ben isn't going to be force-feeding the ball to a guy like Deontay Johnson. Big Ben retired. You know, they drafted George Pickens. They drafted Calvin Austin. They still have Chase Claypool, that number, that uh, top three receiver in the league. Remember, you hear about him. So they have Najee Harris in the backfield who had 94 targets last year, 74 catches. And we don't know who's playing quarterback for them. We have Mitch Trubisky on one hand. You got Kenny Pickett on the other. Either one, I don't like to be throwing the ball nearly as much as Big Ben was last year because all he could do was snap it, three-step drop, and the ball's out or he's getting sacked. So we could talk about Deontay Johnson getting all these targets, but those were pretty much necessary for the offense to even function because Big Ben was there. With more mobile guys like Mitch Trubisky or Kenny Pickett, they're both much younger than him. They'll be able to extend the play. Deontay Johnson can get separation, but that's going to allow a lot more opportunity for other receivers to get in and have, you know, an opportunity there. I think that wide receiver 17 is way too high, and I like a lot of the players that are going after him. Um, at DK Metcalf, Brandon Cooks. Brandon Cooks especially. I wrote a, uh article on him. I love Brandon Cooks. He doesn't necessarily have the talent, I want to say, Deontay Johnson, just because Deontay Johnson is a little bit younger. But I, I would take Brandon Cooks over Deontay Johnson any day. So I was just, you know, blown away to see Deontay Johnson that high. So I'd like to hear why you have him so high. And this shout-out to uh, Fantasy Guides because um, he wanted to hear this discussion. So if he listens to this, he'll get it. Yeah, and, like, for some reason, we're talking about Deontay Johnson as just some guy who benefited from Brent Roethlisberger, who was absolutely terrible last year. He ranked 38th of 39 quarterbacks in PFF grade like second to last, like we should be giving Deontay Johnson credit for getting it done with such a shitty quarterback. But instead, we're saying that he could only get it done with a dinosaur at a quarterback. You know what I'm saying? Like guys like DJ Moore and Allen Robinson, who, by the way, had two top 12 seasons with Mitch Trubisky in terms of fantasy points per game. Okay, I just want to say that. Okay, but anyway. You know, guys like DJ Moore, guys like Allen Robinson, we're like, if only they had a QB, imagine what would happen with Deontay Johnson. We're like, damn, he doesn't have a shitty quarterback anymore. This is going to suck. You know, like, I'm looking at Matt Harmon's reception perception, all right? And for those who don't know, it's the resource for charting wide receivers and how well they get open. All of your favorite wide receivers, all of your favorite elite wide receivers chart very well. That shouldn't be surprising because these wide receivers know how to separate. Deontay Johnson is at the 91st percentile win rate against man coverage, the 98th percentile win rate against zone, and the 89th percentile win rate against press coverage. This is among all wide receivers in the NFL. That's elite. 
He's an elite separator. Not a good separator. He's an elite separator. That's why he gets targets. That's why he performs. He earns them. And that's why he was able to do his thing with such a shitty quarterback last year. Now, can there be quarterback issues this year? Yes. Mitch Trubisky, Kenny Pickett, you know, choose your poison, right? But is there a chance these guys are better than Ben? I think so. I think there's a big chance these guys are better than better than Ben, especially Trubisky. Can Trubisky get the ball down the field? Yes. Is it possible he actually isn't as bad as he was under Matt Nagy? Yes. But regardless of who the quarterback is, I'm expecting Deontay Johnson to get the lion's share of targets. And I do not expect Chase Claypool's target share or George Pickens' target share to come close. I don't think... Uh, listen, I love Calvin Austin, but like the dude is not going to be on the field a ton. And I, I don't see him affecting this at all. But, you know, and, and while I do think that like guys like Chase Claypool and guys like George Pickens, Pickens have, have, have tremendous talent, Deontay has proved that he is at a different level. He's done it in the NFL already, and I'm expecting him to eat first by far. Um, now, I'm even excited about some untapped upside for Deontay, given the fact that he was limited to a lower depth of target, right? We're assuming that, you know, because of Ben, you know, because of Ben moving on, he's not going to get those targets, you know, like, you know, those short targets that he was getting, those slants. The reason why he runs a lot of slants is because he's one of the best in the league, you know, uh, you know, separating on slants. So he can separate all over the field, though, including intermediate, including deep. So those higher value targets down the field can potentially be unlocked with a quarterback who is capable of slinging it downfield. And we know that Ben couldn't. So right now, Deontay's going as the wide receiver 20 uh, in the mid fourth. I have met wide receiver 17. Um, I can understand, you know, DK Metcalf. Like when you mentioned DK Metcalf, like Metcalf has more upside than Deontay Johnson just because of like he, he has like he has 15 touchdown upside. He has like, you know, 14, 1500 yards in him, 90 catch. You know what I'm saying? He has that in him. Like there's no doubt about that. Um, I do think that. Deontay, though, has proven more in the NFL than DK Metcalf has, though. Um, so that value, wide receiver 20, mid-fourth, I think that's a great value in the group of the receivers that he's going in. So he's in there with McLaurin. Give me Deontay there. He's there with Gabriel Davis. Easily give me Deontay there. Jerry Judy, give me Deontay there. Um, A-Rob is right there. I have Allen Robinson ranked above him, so I'll take him if I had to choose between the two. Um, but Deontay is like falling in a lot of drafts, and I think it's unwarranted. So at his price right now, extremely solid PPR or not. Yeah, and you, you, Deontay Johnson, you say he's falling. He'd have to fall a considerable amount for me to consider taking him, at least where he's at right now. I'm not a big fan of that price, but I'm looking here right now. He where would you have most- him? Where would I have him? I'd have where would him. You have, where would you have him? Yeah. People aren't going to like this, but I like him as a high wide receiver three <laughs> right now. Like I said, I'd rather have DK Metcalf. I'd rather have Brandon Cooks over him just because I feel like Brandon Cooks, he's the only option on his offense. I think there are so many options on the Steelers' offense, like I said about Najee Harris. Also very high on him. Like him in the receiving game. Like him to get at least another 70 targets this year. I don't think it's going to be as many as he did last year because it's going to be much more ability at the quarterback position where Big Ben, you know, dumped it off to Najee Harris a lot. But I think that I think that he's going a little too high. He ran 594 routes, which was actually number one last year and 37 routes per game. I don't know. I don't know if he's going to be able to have that many passing opportunities. I feel like they're going to lean more on the run game in Pittsburgh to kind of shelter these two quarterbacks, Mitch Trubisky and um, Kenny Pickett, depending on who starts. It could move quicker towards the pass, depending if Mr. Trubisky starts. He has much more experience. I feel like if Kenny Pickett's the one starting, 
we're going to see more of a balanced attack. But um, I, I, th- I just, Deontay Johnson, he's good. Don't, don't get me wrong. He's good. And like I said about DK Metcalf, you're right. The reason I like him more is the upside. And I feel like DK Metcalf's game script is going to be a little bit better because the Steelers have a good defense. They're, they're going to be in close games. I don't think the Seahawks are going to be in many of those. So it's going to be a lot of, you know, good game script, garbage time. That's great for fantasy. But, um, yeah, I, I just don't think that Deontay Johnson has that upside that I'm chasing right now. And the, the chance that he's going to be, you know, kind of re- limited in his work, not so much. He's, I mean, he's not going to get 169 targets is what I'm saying. That's what he had last year. I think he's more in the realm of yeah. 120 to 130. And it's kind of C.D. Lamb-esque where it's like, you know there's more possible, but he's just not getting it, you know? He's not getting that volume. I think George Pickens can contribute later in the season, I think. 150. 150, that's the number. I think he's going to hit 150 targets this year. I think that, that that's going to be more than enough to, I think, uh, you know, return on that price that, that we're paying in drafts this year. Right. Uh, if he gets 150, then right. you know what? I, I will Who happily else? say. Yeah. Sorry. I, sorry. I will, if he gets 150 targets, I will happily yeah, say I ahead. was wrong. But I, I don't. I don't see that happening. <laughs> sure. Got it. Okay. All right. So who else? Who else do we want to argue about today? I'm ready, man. You can tell. Like I'm ready. Like I'm so ready for this. Yeah. Yeah. On. I got you. <laughs> uh, so the other guy that I'm looking at, and I can't believe it. Both. It's not just your rankings that I'm like. Oh man, this is crazy. It's the ADP that I'm seeing. And that's T. Higgins. He's a wide receiver for the Bengals. I cannot believe that he's going as high as he's going right now. Last I checked, he was wide receiver, was it 12 or 10? One of the two. Either 10 or 12. He's, he's going off as the wide receiver 10 right now. That is just blowing me away. I cannot believe that with Jamar Chase in that offense. I know the Bengals' offense is good. But Joe Mixon's there. You got Jamar Chase. Tyler Boyd is nothing to sneeze at. They just, they just added Hayden Hurst. Not that he's like a big target share guy he's not going to be you know anything that's going to be taking too much away but I feel like T Higgins is a clear number two wide receiver and he doesn't have the consistency or that I'm looking for I don't think compared to like a Jamar Chase or the upside Jamar Chase and Joe Burrow are you know two peas in a pod they look they've played great together at LSU they brought that right to the NFL we saw that last year and push comes to shove Joe Burrow is going to be airing out to Jamar Chase before he airs it out to T Higgins not that T. Higgins isn't going to get his. He's going to. But as the wide receiver 10 off the board, coming off before other guys who are clear number ones in their offense, I just I just can't believe it. Like the wide receiver two on the Bengals is coming off the board in a top 10. And then you have him, was it ranked also top 10? Wide receiver 10. Top 12? Yep. Yeah. I, I, I have him exactly a wide receiver 10. Yeah. I, you're right on par with ADP. I, I, I just, I'd love to hear why you have him there because that is blowing me away. <laughs> no man I, I get it man like and if you think if you really look at it like the target share between these two guys were actually extremely similar last year um you know they their production uh was more similar than you know that than what we want to give it credit for uh their opportunities were very similar as well no, no doubt jamar chase has a, you know a lot more upside than he does uh but there's a lot of good reasons why t higgins um should be ranked in the top 12 now I am expecting the Bengals' offense uh, to go absolutely nuclear next season, and there's a few reasons for that. Um, I think it can be a historic type of season, and the main one uh, being that I expect this offense uh, to be pass first and have a much higher pace of play than last season. Um, 
you know, and with with how successful both Jamar Chase and Higgins were on a slow offense last year with Joe Burrow coming off an ACL injury, I think they just go apeshit this year. So more on the pace of play. The Bengals were the fourth slowest offense last year. They were also very low in situation neutral pass rate. So what that means is, you know, if 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 you're in a you know tie game early on early on in the game, do you pass? Do you run? Right? And you're kind of on first down, you know, and you can do kind of either. There's more to it than that, but like that's kind of what that means. And they ran the ball way more than they passed the ball in those situations. Now, with all that being said, Chase and Higgins were able to finish in the top twelve in fantasy points per game last year. All right, so. When you look deeper into last season, as the season moved forward, they started to get faster. Their situation neutral rate, pass rate went up, right? The latter went from, you know, 55% uh, to 50%, you know, looking between September and December. So it moved up a little bit. And then in the playoffs, the situation neutral pass rate went up to 70%. So they went super pass heavy at that point. Now, when you consider what Zach Taylor did when he first came to the Bengals, pace of play was top 10 in 2019 top 10 in 2020 so my guess is that they wanted to kind of like ease joe burrow back into form uh before going you know fast and and super pass heavy so i do think that they go back to what zach taylor wants to do what he showed when he first got there and then what he showed in the playoffs that got him all the way to the super bowl this past season and that's also when joe burrow you know kind of got his his feet under him his legs under him literally uh and was able to kind of carry that team on his shoulders right um so higgins right now like we said going off as a wide receiver 10 uh and i'm okay with it like i think he can be the wide receiver one for a lot of other teams in the league um, I think he could be a legit wide receiver one, X receiver for a lot of teams in the league. But he doesn't have to. He's on a great offense with a great quarterback. He's just in a great situation going into the season. And I can see him putting up career highs this year. Um, I, I would, If I had to like put a projection out there, like I think 85 catches, 1,200 yards, uh, 8 to 10 touchdowns is what I'm looking at. Um, and by the way, he was top 10 in end zone targets last year. So Burrow's looking for him there. Uh, not red zone targets. This is end zone targets. So, you know, looking for him to potentially approach that double-digit touchdown mark this year. Um, so right now, where is he going? He's going at the 2-3 turn right now. Uh, so I like him. I'm looking at the other guys in that area. So I like him more than Keenan Allen there. Uh, I like him more than AJ Brown there. Uh, I'm definitely okay taking him over Nick Chubb, who's going right there as well. Uh, Javante Williams uh, depends on the build that I'm going for uh, with that particular team. But Higgins is obviously, for me, he's a safer bet between those two. Uh, but I do think Javante has more upside based on what his range of outcomes is this season. Uh, but listen, I know that we don't often get two top 12 wide receivers from the same team but i'm looking when i'm looking at when i'm projecting this team out looking at how fast they're going to go how many pass attempts that they're going to have you know how efficient joe burrow is going to be and and these two guys staying healthy like i just feel like this is going to be a year where the Bengals just go nuts right and we'd all love to see that happen but the thing that kind of turns me off to that idea i mean i know they're <laughs> going to go crazy they're going to go crazy I'll give you that. But the thing is, I think I think Joe Mixon is going to play a role in that. I feel like, I mean, the Bengals had, obviously, Jamar Chase, T. Higgins were both great receivers for fantasy last year. He, like you said, both were top 12 points per game. Joe Mixon finished, was it the RB5 last year? And then Joe Burrow is the top QB. 
RB4? Yeah, so even better. You're just yeah. proving my point. So, <laughs> Joe, Joe Mixon. I didn't prove nothing. <laughs> I, I, I think that Joe Mixon is going to be a huge part of the offense, too. I don't see his workload like being reduced enough to the point where it's just like, oh, we're going to be throwing all these times, and you know, Jamar Chase and T. Higgins are going to be eating, and Joe Mixon's going to be getting 40 yards a game and maybe a touchdown here or there. I think Joe Mixon's going to have a much larger role than that. And with your projection for T. Higgins, like you say, if you had to project, it would be 80 or 85 catches for, was it 1,208 touchdowns? So what does Jamar yeah. Chase look like? <laughs> that would have to be a huge, like that would be a huge year for T. Higgins. And then Jamar Chase, presumably, I mean, assuming he stays healthy, would have to be higher than that, I feel like. I, I think that he Oh, yeah, has, of course. I mean, uh, yeah. look, what, look what Jamar Chase did last year. Last year, 81 catches. What was it? 1,400 yards. More than that. Almost 1,500 yards and 13 touchdowns. Right, so like, yeah, that's his rookie year. I do expect him to 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 be a little bit better than that. I I don't know if that touchdown number goes up, right? But the yards can go up, the receptions can go up. Um, now remember, Jamar Chase was extremely efficient uh, on his on his catches. Right, he caught a lot of deep bombs last year. I don't know if that same thing is going to happen this year in terms of like his catch rate on those deep bombs and all that, but. Uh, you know, I do think that both of these guys can definitely do their thing. Yeah, absolutely. And like I said, Tyler Boyd's there. I'm not a big fan of Tyler Boyd, but he's, like I said, nothing sneeze at. He can bring in the targets. He's a very reliable target. And uh, But T. Higgins, I feel like there's too much. He has a high range of outcomes. You're right. I think you're projecting on the you know best case scenario side of those outcomes. I'm sure, a little bit more... Sure reserved with that i think he's more towards wide receiver 15 16 range as far as finish total fantasy points and that's why i feel like mm-hmm. wide receiver tends a little too high for both adp and your projections and your rankings i mean but um i think there's obviously that chance like i said joe burrow is my dark horse pick to be you know qb1 overall this season i think he can fuel that kind of production for both of them but the question is can that happen realistically can we have jamar chase T. Higgins, Joe Mixon, all on the same offense and all have such great fantasy years. It's, I'm not saying that they don't all have the talent, but there's only so much to go around and something's got to give. And if I had to bet, it would be T. Higgins, you know, getting kind of the butt end of it if we're looking at who's going to have the lowest production of those three. I think that the other two are really key points and centerpieces of that offense. T. Higgins, not to say that he isn't, but I think that he'll have his days and kind of be like the Michael Williams to – Jamar Chase is Keenan Allen because Mike Williams had big games, but then he also had really quiet games, and Keenan Allen was much more uh, conser- uh, consistent. I think that's the kind of comparison I have for them, but obviously it's hard to do that because they have Justin Herbert. They're both very high-powered offenses. I think that kind of works, though. Yep, no, I, I hear you, and, and those are some good points. Um, if I had to guess on anybody, uh, you know, having a regression last, next year, it's going to be Joe Mixon. Um, just because, just based on the, uh, how much opportunity he had, you know, not involved in the past game that much. And then on top of that, like having a ridiculous, you know, ha- having those like ridiculous amount of touchdowns last year too. Um, so if I had to guess, you know, li- listen, at the end of the day, if this was going to be a great offense, you know, a lot of players can eat. Um, and you want guys like Joe Mixon because of the fact that if I'm projecting this offense to be, you know, one of the best offenses that we've seen in a couple of years, then yeah, I'm going to also project Joe Mixon to score a lot of touchdowns as well. Uh, so I do think that, hey, listen, if you're projecting Joe Burrow to be the QB one this year, I think, I think, I think we got this in the books. 
I'm not projecting to be QB one, but he's my dark horse pick. I wouldn't necessarily dark horse, dark horse. But yeah, sure, yeah. sure, sure. All, All right. right, so let's go on to the next guy. Uh, you know, I'm a I'm a big Jets fan. Um, every year, I become less and less of a Jets fan, but that's another story. Um, the Jets just drafted Garrett Wilson. Um, you know, to complement the guys that they have over there, they have Corey Davis. Elijah Moore came on the scene in a big way last year, but you are not so high on Elijah Moore the way that I am. Um, where do I have him right now? I have Jamar. I have. Elijah Moore, Elijah as, my, Moore. Our, as my uh, wide receiver, 26. Wide receiver, 26. Okay, so and, I have him as a high-end wide receiver three right now. Right, and that's behind Brandon Cooks, which is warranted. But it's also higher than Rashad Bateman, which I really don't understand because I'm a big Rashad Bateman guy. And it's not so much just the fact that he's over sure. Rashad Bateman. I think he's up very high for the offense that he's in, which it on paper – Looks like it got a lot better. They got Garrett Wilson. They got Brees Hall. Zach Wilson's taking a step forward. He has that dog in him. Uh, and the offensive line should be better. <laughs> second year in the second year in the system. You know, it'll be good for Zach Wilson to have a full offseason as, you know, he has a year under his belt. But the fact is that the offense was not very good last year. Mike White was the best quarterback, I think, for them last year, even though Zach Wilson played more games. He was the best for fantasy, at least. And then you have to look at, like I said, Garrett Wilson's there. They have Corey Davis. They just acquired C.J. Uzama. Not that he's a big guy to be, you know, he's not going to be the number one target. He's not going to be like a Travis Kelsey at tight end. He's not even going to be, I think, like a Dalton Schultz at tight end. But um, he'll get his targets. I think that to have him, Elijah Moore, of anybody that high is kind of, you know, head-scratching because – Garrett Wilson, they didn't draft Garrett Wilson to make Elijah Moore their number one. I don't think they ultimately have designs to make Elijah Moore their number one. And that's okay, but for a fantasy perspective, I feel like if they drafted Garrett Wilson at that high, why would we be projecting Elijah Moore to be higher than him? Brees Hall is going to be there. He's supposed to get some more work in the passing game in his first year as a rookie. He's dynamic talent. They're going to get the ball in his hands a lot. And like we said, Zach Wilson, he does have the dog in him, but we don't know how he's going to perform. You know, second year, quarterbacks like to take a step forward. That's not necessarily always the case. And what we saw from last year was shaky at best. So Elijah Moore's production kind of becomes dependent on Zach Wilson taking that step forward and the offense as a whole taking that step forward. And that's a little bit risky for me. And then to have him going higher than Rashad Bateman in your ranks, I just think that's a little bit, you know, questionable. Yeah, no, I hear that. So, you know, one, one thing with me is that I'm big on wide receivers who prove themselves their rookie year, um, especially when they do it on the perimeter, right? So if you look at Elijah Moore last year, among all rookie wide receivers with at least 70 targets last year, Moore was second only to Jamar Chase in yards per route run. So we're talking Jalen Waddell, Amara St. Brown, Devontae Smith, also in that category, right? And remember, and we're talking, and this is the entire sample size of his season. Okay, remember when we compared him to Waddle, right? Waddle most ran most of his routes from the slot, right? Um, almost exclusively from the slot. So while Moore did was almost exclusively on the outside, right? So when you're looking at the yards per route run, it's way more impressive that Elijah Moore was able to to do his thing and beat Jalen Waddle out in that category, which is pretty sticky 
when it comes to you know projecting uh, rookie wide receivers moving forward in their careers, um, especially when they hit that route minimum, uh, that, that, that threshold. Um, and then when you look at when he was targeted, one of the stats to kind of key on when you want to try to identify some breakouts uh, is targets per route run and also targets per route run against man coverage. Uh, and that's a nod to my guy Dwayne McFarland over at PFF. Uh, overall, uh, Moore was targeted on 24% of his routes, which edged out Jalen Waddell as well. So that's awesome for a rookie. Uh, and then you look at his routes against man coverage. He was targeted on 32% of those routes, which is only behind Devonta Adams, A.J. Brown, Cooper Cup, D.K. Metcalf, Keenan Allen, and Justin Jefferson. So that's some good company right there. Um, and that six-game stretch that we saw last year uh, before he got hurt in the second half of the season was like just Im- amazing. Like. He was the overall wide receiver four in those weeks from weeks eight from, from weeks eight to thirteen. And once he became a full time player again in week eleven, he saw target shares of twenty six percent, thirty five percent, and thirty five percent. And then he went on IR right after that. So like you know, we didn't get to see like that continue. And I think if he was able to continue that, didn't go on IR, um, you know, for those few weeks, I think you know everybody would be you know having a different tune on, on him because he would have he would have had that sample size with Zach Wilson. Um, but uh, in comes Garrett Wilson, right? Like you mentioned, amazing wide receiver as well. He, he was my wide receiver, you know, I think he was my rookie wide receiver one or rookie wide receiver two, super close with Drake London, right? But I just look at this situation as two very good wide receivers with one who proved he's that dude already in the NFL. And I'm giving the nod to him for 2022. Can Garrett Wilson prove that he's better than Elijah eventually? Yeah, sure. Uh, but either way, I think Elijah's going to be great. I don't think uh, that would happen. Uh, you know, I, I don't think like Elijah uh, uh, Elijah Moore is going to be set aside by Garrett Wilson. Like when Jamar Chase comes in the league, like the type of you know elite prospect that he is. Like you know, at that point, then you're like, all right, maybe you know he can edge out a guy like T. Higgins, right? But in, in this scenario, it's it's very likely that Elijah Moore can still kind of hold his own and be that one A to Garrett Wilson. Um, when you look at his reception perception charting as a rookie, uh, it's very impressive. And, and Matt Harmon simply says it. Rookies with his type of profile in terms of his ability to get open in year one, uh, especially on the perimeter, they simply rarely fail. So uh, I want to bet on those guys early in their careers when the price is so good. Uh, he's going off the board as a wide receiver 32 in the sixth round. Uh, so I'm above consensus on that. But so I love that price though, for someone who was able to be a wide receiver one for a chunk of the season last year. Um, I'm not necessarily worried about guys like, you know, Tyler Conklin, you know, CJ Ozama, those guys will take away from each other. I don't know how much two tight end sets they're going to run. Uh, but either way, Elijah Moore is going to be uh, someone who's running at a full route participation next year. He hardly got any of that last year until later, later in the year. Um, so I'm, I'm very high on him as a full-time player for, you know, for somebody who we didn't see a ton of that last season. Right. So you have Elijah Moore and Rashad Bateman on the board at the same time. Who are you taking? I'm taking Elijah Moore. And, and, I, and I'll you tell think? you why. Again, he's, he's somebody that, he's somebody that uh, proved that he has the upside you know, to be a potential wide receiver one in the league, you know? And I think the fact that he was able to prove that production, l- listen, Rashad Bateman got his opportunities a couple times last year. 
right? He didn't absolutely, you know, destroy. You know, he did his thing. You know, he was able to, you know, do certain things with his targets, but like he didn't blow blow anyone out the water. Now, I think Rashad Bateman is going to break out this year. I do. I think he is very likely to be at least a top 24 wide receiver, and he can even be a top 18 wide receiver. I do. But I think Elijah Moore's upside is a little bit more than that. I think that on that offense, an offense that is catered towards, um, you know, like it's just a, a better balanced offense. I, 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 I'm hoping that Zach Wilson takes a step forward. I don't necessarily think that Zach Wilson needs to take this huge step forward for guys like Elijah Moore to do their thing because we've seen bad quarterbacks make solid fantasy wide receivers, right? Like you don't need an amazing quarterback <clears throat> Big Ben to produce a ridiculous like high end wide receiver, right? Um, so I- I'm okay w- with that with that scenario. In Baltimore, it's a run heavy offense. We know for sure that Mark Andrews is going to be their clear guy as their number one target. Uh, number two target will most likely be Rashad Bateman. But what is that target share going to look like? We saw that Hollywood Brown was able to win. He was able to do his thing. He, he proved that he was a very good wide receiver in the NFL, and he proved that, and he deserved that target share. I'm not ready to just take that target share and like just like put it right on Rashad Bateman and be like, hey, do your thing, right? And I think he's going to be able to uh, win on the outside. By the way, his reception perception profile is very good as well for a rookie. Um, obviously, a little bit more limited in terms of um, you know what you know his 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 overall um, opportunity last year in terms of actually being on the field running routes that that sort of thing. Uh, Sammy Watkins, you know, like of all people, was the reason why he couldn't see the field um, last year, um, which doesn't say a lot of good things. But at the same time, he's going to get his opportunity this year. I like him a lot, but I'm not going to take him over proven commodities like Elijah Moore. Yeah, my only concern is well, I, it's not really a concern. This is my comparison I keep making in my head when I look at Elijah Moore versus Rashad Bateman. It's Zach Wilson, who we don't know if he's going to take a step forward, and as quarterback, and then Lamar Jackson. Like, who else is there on the Ravens' offense to throw to besides Mark Andrews and Rashad Bateman? Like James Brochet. Yep. Like, who who is there? There's I mean, nobody. I know, yeah, we we haven't seen J.K. Dobbins. Yeah, we don't know if J.K. Dobbins is going to have any work in a receiving game. We're not sure, but Gus Edwards is there. Lamar you don't think so yeah okay so Lamar Jackson you know he'll have his rushing too I guess you could kind of look at the way the offense is built and kind of say okay even if he does get a strong target share it's not going to be the same type of target share it's going to have in New York that I understand but I just feel like Elijah Moore I mean yeah very talented very good receiver I just think that his production is going to kind of be capped because of all the other players and weapons in that offense where Rashad Bateman like there's nowhere else to go besides Mark Andrews I feel like Rashad Bateman has better touchdown upside. Elijah Moore might have better reception, like more receptions this year, but I think that he's going to be more explosive player is going to be Rashad Bateman. I, I just don't see how Elijah Moore could meet what, I, what I'm expecting for Rashad Bateman. And then to have him at wide receiver 28, yeah, high on wide receiver 3, no, wide receiver 26 it was for Elijah Moore, 28 for Bateman. 26, that's even higher. Yeah. High I don't know if I'm happy three. paying that price. Yeah. I don't Where know do I have Bateman? Approach. I have him at uh, 28. So I only have two spots I only have Bateman yeah. two spots lower. Yeah, yeah. So I, I have him pretty close, you know. Um, and I, I, yeah. with a lot of the things you're just saying about Bateman, I 100%, I 100% agree with you. You know, I think that he's going to kill it next year. I just like Elijah Moore more. 
Elijah Moore more. Mm-hmm. Not better. Elijah Moore more. But Elijah Moore more. Um, yes. So, yeah, that's kind of that's kind of how I see it, you know, uh, going into next season. Now, in terms of touchdowns, though, like Elijah Moore had scored like five touchdowns, one, two, three, four, five touchdowns in five games, you know, in his last five games last year. So, I, I, he has like he had a nose for the end zone during those games. You know, somehow yeah. always found a way to go, get into the end zone in crappy quarterback situations. Um, so I listen. I wouldn't be surprised if Elijah Moore came down with ten touchdowns this year. I really wouldn't. I, I, I'd be impressed. You will have me there <laughs> for sure. <laughs> I'd be impressed too, man. I'd be impressed too. Um, are you? Are you? Are you a Jets fan for us? Yes, I am. I am. <laughs> um, so all right, let's move on to the last guy. Um, I think this one, uh, you know, I think a lot of people are going to agree with you on this one. You know, yeah. uh, you sent this, you sent this one to me, and I and I and I get it. Like I think a lot of arguments can be made. Um, Chase Edmonds, right? Chase Edmonds, uh, just recently in my latest set of rankings, I actually moved him up. Right? Uh, where did right. I move him up to? I move. I think I moved him up to like a low end RB two. I had him pretty low. I think it's- yeah, I had him at yeah. twenty three exactly. So according to me moving up Zeke to 24, he's right above Zeke for me. And by the way, keep in mind, this is full PPR rankings. Okay. So in half PPR, he'll be outside my top, I would say outside my top 30, uh, you know, closer to probably RB 34, 35, something like that. So he, he, he takes a huge, you know, he, he bumps down a huge amount uh, if this is an, uh, of either half PPR or non, non-PPR. But in full PPR, yeah. I have him as a back end RB two. Speaking of, like you said, RB thirty four, that's where he would be moved to for non PPR. That's where he's going right now, and I am with like ADP. Interesting, he's interesting. He not the wide receiver, running back. He is running back thirty four. So I am in agreement with that one. I'm agree with that ADP mm-hmm. and that price because I just look at the Dolphins backfield and I look at the whole offense, and I know I make this argument a lot for a lot of players. But uh, how is he going to get his touches enough to make him the RB twenty three, uh, low end RB two? It just I just don't see it. They, it's not just because they have receivers that are going to be taking targets or anything. They added Sony Michelle. They added Raheem Mostert. They still have Miles Gaskin. Now whether Miles Gaskin stays on the roster heading into the season, we don't know. He could drop off. They could cut him. It wouldn't cost them a lot. But they have Tyree Kill. They have Jalen Waddle. They have Mike Gesicki. And Tua isn't a bad quarterback. He can throw the ball. I just And we are seeing the Dolphins likely going to switch with Mike McDaniel coming in as head coach, switch gears a little bit on offense. They're going to be more run heavy. But I just don't see Chase Edmonds getting enough of the money touches. I think Sony Michelle is going to be their red zone goal line guy. I think Raheem Mostert's going to be somebody that they bring in as change of pace, second down, to try and get on the second and eight, that kind of thing. Try to get them a good six, seven yards to make it manageable. The only way I see Chase Edmonds really producing consistency would be in the passing game. And I'm not sure how much you're going to be throwing to running backs with Tyreek Hill going down the field, with Jalen Waddell coming down across on a slant and just making money after the catch, and Mike Kosicki as a red zone target. I see Chase Edmonds getting his three, four, five receptions a game, but I don't see much rushing upside for him. And to have him ranked as the RB23, I think that's a little generous. I think that the ADP is a little bit more accurate on that one. So I'd like to hear why are you so high on Chase Edmonds? 
Yeah, I think three, four, five receptions per game. If it's five receptions per game, I mean, listen, he's a shoe in for an RB2. Um, uh, I, I have Edmonds as my RB22 right now. Um, now, I had him, I think, at like RB30 30 or something like that early on in the year. But I wouldn't be touching Edmonds normally. Um, but I look at where he's going at drafts. You mentioned he's going at the, you know, at the, as the RB36 in the ninth round. And I think that's a little careless. You know what I'm saying? Uh, so to become a top 24 back in PPR leagues, all you need is about 15 touches per game as long as you get a good amount of those touches in the receiving game, right? Uh, so Mike McDaniel, you know, and the Dolphins, right, they had their eyes set out for Edmonds specifically from the get. They signed him early on day one of free agency, Right. The running back position is very important for this team. And yes, it's going to be a committee, no doubt. Uh, but unlike San Francisco, right, 15 touches per game as the 1A, it was not going to cut it most of the time, right? Unless you're Raheem Mostert and you're ripping off like 90-yard touchdowns all the time uh, until you get hurt. Uh, you know, because those backs were not involved in the passing game, right? So like they were not valuable, right, other than those big plays. So Edmonds is one of the best pass-catching running backs in the league. They signed him for that specific skill set right away as the first running back off of free agency, right? Uh, he got hurt in week nine last year, but he was one of only five running backs who had 30 targets by that point. And he led all those running backs in catch percentage, uh, you know, in percentage and in percentage of routes from the slot. Uh, and that was from a rushing quarterback, right? That was from Kyler Murray. That dude had options, right? He could have tucked the ball and run. Like, Tua isn't going to be running the ball like Kyler Murray. Um, and now Edmonds gets to run in an outside zone run scheme, more efficiency with a better offensive mind. You know, the, that run scheme is serious, right? Uh, and, yes, I, I did say a better offensive mind. Cliff Kingsbury is, like, pretty overrated in my opinion. Um but I'm not worried about Raheem Mostert, okay? He's 30 years old. He cannot stay upright, right? Like, when you talk about injury-prone, I hate throwing that term around, but, like, like, come on. Come on, Raheem Mostert, like, come on. Probably is that guy, right? If there's a list and there's one guy on it, <laughs> it's probably him, okay? Um, right. No, I agree with you. I can totally see Sony Michelle being their goal line back, and that's fine. I'm not projecting – I'm projecting Edmonds to not have that role. Okay, and I'm okay with that. I, I think the one-two punch ends up being between these two guys, between Sony Michelle and 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 Chase Edmonds. Um, and while I like Michelle, I actually do like Michelle in uh, in non PPR formats. Like Michelle is going in the last round of your drafts. I would suggest taking that late round sh shot on Michelle, regardless of format, because he's going off the board like ridiculously late. So the reason, you know. The, the reason why Michelle's going so late is because there's no guaranteed role for Michelle, right? You know, his contract is a one-year, you know, $1.75 million deal. Only 500000 of that is guaranteed, you know, so there's no guarantee that he even makes the roster. I think he does make the roster, and I do think that that ends up being the one-two punch there. Uh, but, yeah, I kind of see, like, if I had to guess what the workload's going to look like for, for um, Chase Edmonds, I see, like, 10 to 12 carries per game. And four to five, four to six targets for Edmonds, uh, similar to what he was seeing in Arizona. And then Michelle with like, you know, 10 to 12, maybe 10 to 15 carries per game, you know, without much use in the pass game and him having that goal line role. But I think those like that right there, like 
it's going to be around 15 to 17 15 to 16 opportunities for Edmonds with him seeing you know a good percentage of that maybe 33 percent of that a third of that being you know coming in the passing game I think that's good enough for him to be like a weekly uh, low-end RB2 right so with what you're laying out I think that it's it makes sense you're I think you're laying out best case scenario for him in my mind and I think that he's ranked accordingly that way you have you have his upside there at I think 23 that's where I think that would kind of be justified but I just don't see that happening I, I, don't, I don't think the split's going to come that way I know you're projecting the workload to be that way but um I don't see them not using Raheem Mostert enough for it to be you know significant to the point uh where it's taking carries from him I think they're going to do that and Chase Evans like I said he gets a couple catches a game I don't see him getting the touchdowns necessarily because you have Tyreek Hill you have Jalen Waddle. You have Mike Kosicki. That's a lot of red zone targets, a lot of touchdowns there that's going to be coming inevitably, I feel like. And then Sonny Michelle, if he's taking, say he takes 60% of the whatever rushing touchdowns I have on the ground, that leaves like 40% to be split between Raheem Mostert and uh, Chase Edmonds. I just don't see Chase Edmonds you know, beating them out, getting those rushing touchdowns. I feel like all of his work is going to come through the air. And if it's a good day, a good passing day, then yeah. He'll have his game, but I think he'll be a real letdown in games where they don't really throw it to him that much. I don't think he's going to be getting all that passing work that you might be projecting. I think that it's, you know, his price is adjusted accordingly right now with the risk that goes with taking him. I think that the upside that you've projected is definitely possible, but I, I'm not projecting that. I think that he's going to get, like I said, a couple catches a game, but he, I don't think he's going to have the rushing production that you might necessarily be planning for him to have. And that's okay. Yeah. I think that I don't yeah, think I, that it's going uh, to be sorry. Yeah, no, I was just going to say that I think you know, I don't think if, if the, he's only getting like a couple catches a game, I think they severely overpaid him, right, on his contract because part of his his main skill set is in the receiving game, you know? And 100% like listen, like if you have Tyreek Hill, you have Jalen Waddle, these are guys who, you know, you want to get the ball to right? No doubt. And they're going to be, you know, leading in target share. Um, but there's there's some other, you know, there's going to be like Mike Gusecki going to get his targets too. But I don't look at Mike Gusecki as somebody where you're like, you know, you have to get him the ball, right? You have to like, you know, make sure that he's involved. Now, he's going to get his targets. He's They're going to involve him a ton. But I think like when you involve your running back in the receiving game, it just brings a different element, right? Where defenses have to account for that. Right, you can't leave your running backs, you know, open in the flat. That sort of thing. You have to keep defenses honest. The, one of the same reasons why you want to have that deep threat, right, to like open up the field. You know, a lot of that is like, you know, you have that running back who can catch a bunch of passes underneath. It's not the same effect. It's not as important, but it has like a similar type of mindset where you like you want to make sure that defense is kind of be be honest and make sure that they're covering everything so that other things can open up, right? So I think that's part of the reason why they brought him there, and I do think they're going to give him those targets because of that, not necessarily because like he deserves more targets. Uh, he deserves tar- targets to take away from guys like Tyreek Hill or Jalen Waddle. You know what I mean? I think they're just going to kind of scheme it like that so that the offense, you know, is a little bit more balanced. Um, especially with a guy like Tua where, you know, you know, is is Tua going to be, you know, 
hitting those deep bombs all day long to Tyreek Hill. You know what I mean? Like Patrick Mahomes was. You know, obviously he had that rapport with Jalen Waddle. We know that he can do that, right? Short to intermediate. That's his game. So I do think that one of the reasons why they brought Chase Edmonds on is to support Tua, uh, you know, keep that completion rate high, you know, keep that offense moving, uh, that sort of thing. Um, Similar to what they did in Arizona, where they had their fair share of weapons as well. You know, Hopkins got his targets. Even A.J. Green got his targets. Christian Kirk got his targets. You know, Zach Ertz got his when he he came in. Um, And look at what James Conner was doing. He was getting his targets too. So these kind of offenses, you know, obviously, you know, Kyler Murray's a much better quarterback, um, but this is going to be, I think, a, a much more well-designed offense, and I think there's going to be room for for Edmonds to do his thing. I think they signed him for, for that specific reason, and, you know, this is a very ambiguous backfield. I don't want to stay away completely. Um, if Chase Edmonds was being drafted as the, as the running back 22, I would not take him there at all. Uh, but the fact that he's being drafted a lot later than that, um, that's part of the reason why I want to hop on it. Right. I think I think that's fair. You say it, that if he's at his price, you can take him and have if he if he scores that upside that you're projecting him to have at RB 23, then, yeah, yeah. that's absolutely a value. But I, I think that he's going to fall more in line with his ADP. I don't think he's going to underperform because you're right. I do think that they did sign him for a reason. His contract indicates that all the other running backs in that backfield, they're not they're not signed through more than a year. I don't think so. I think that's true. Right. But I just don't think that he's going to have the rushing volume to kind of account for that. I know that there's a yep. statistic. I think it was PFF that did it that said for every catch, every catch adds up to about 2.7 or 2.9 rushes rushing attempts. That's kind of their value. So no, it's not every catch. It's every target. Every target. Right. Okay. Yep. So, yes. So the rushing upside isn't necessarily essential for his production, but I feel like he's going to be kind of lacking in that department and that along with that lack in the rushing side of things, he might also lack rushing touchdowns, which can be really, really good for fantasy, obviously, because they score six points. But um, no, I think that his upside is kind of limited. I think his upside falls within wide receiver, not wide receiver, running back 28, 29, as opposed to 23, where you haven't ranked. So, Right. Yeah, no, I mean, there's going to be – you know, I even see, look, look at him as having – you know, certain weeks, I think he can have finish in the top 12. You know, I think he's that good. Um, and I think that it is not because of the role. And I think it's because of the of how often he's able to score, you know, from outside the red zone even. You know, he, he's done that multiple times. I think he's above 30%, uh, you know, in, in, in scoring outside of even the red zone. So, like, um, you know, he has that ability. He has that sort of, you know, it's similar to like what we saw in Austin Eckler, like these undersized, efficient type of backs. That's kind of what I see in him. Uh, obviously, a lesser version of that, but you know, I think he has that in him where he could kind of be efficient on on those touches, especially in this type of offense where we've seen running backs be super efficient, especially good ones. <laughs> and honestly, right. like in this offense, like I don't even know like what good, like the best running back we've seen in this offense was Raheem Mostert, like when he's been healthy. Um, but other than that, like who else has has been on this like San Francisco, you know, type of offense that has been like a really like, a good running back, you know? So like I feel like Chase Evans is that guy who might be one of the most talented guys they've had in this scheme uh, in a while. And I'm curious why Mike McDaniel handpicked this guy, you know, to 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 be, you know, they could have drafted somebody, 
right? They could have done that and yeah. they could have, you know, got some good value. Uh, but they chose to go Edmonds. Uh, and, you know, I guess we're going to find out. <laughs> yeah, no, right. time will tell. Um, Absolutely. So I'm going to uh, choose to have the last word here and just say that I had the last word. That's it. Um, draft Chase Edmonds. That's what I'm going to say. Uh, <laughs> yeah. Well, listen, this was an amazing episode. Uh, Zach, I think you did a great job, dude. First podcast episode. I think we killed it. Um, nice job. Uh, how, how'd you feel? Like, Thank you. Are those butterflies gone? Uh, I don't, the butterflies weren't really there to begin with, although it's a pretty high stakes <laughs> episode, you know, kind of fighting over fancy players that were torn on right away. But I think 100%. that it were, I think, yeah, I think it went great. Very good. I loved it. I yeah. It a great time. And awesome. I think that awesome. this is going to give awesome. people um, plenty of, uh, food for thought as far as comparing players and how they should weigh them <laughs> and value them for sure. For sure, for sure. All right, so uh, that's it. That's all we got, guys. Uh, we got nothing else to say. Uh, Those are a few guys that you know we were kind of torn on. You know, coming into th- this podcast, we're recording on July thirteenth. So you know, obviously our takes will you know evolve as the off season goes on. So we're trying to do two episodes a week. Uh, you know, from here on out up until uh, the start of the season, and then in the season, you'll obviously get your you know m- multi you know podcast weeks because of all the stuff that's happening. Uh, in season so that's our goal uh hopefully you know we'll 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 do that if we don't please hold us accountable hit me up on dms and let me know like dude like we're waiting for the next podcast let me know uh but hopefully that won't have to happen so appreciate you guys thank you so much for listening if you're still here we appreciate you guys uh for me and zach take it easy we'll see you guys soon see ya